Good day guys, and thanks for checking in for a new episode of Back to Backwards. I'm happy to share my follow-up interview with Syscoin on this beautiful Monday morning or afternoon for some. So today I'm discussing all things new at Syscoin with their founder and lead core developer Jack Sidhu and also their main marketing chief Bradley joined us. So besides that we also included some community questions at the very end of the show. So let's dive in, alright? Good evening, guys. It's great to welcome both of you on the show again. It's actually the very first time I'm hosting a follow-up episode. And the previous episode, we ended our conversation with a lot of exciting stuff that was about to release, but was still under uh, NDA. And I think you surprised a lot of people with the announcement that you are actually delivering the technology for BUSD, uh, Binance and Stablecoin. So, Bradley, what can you tell us about this partnership? with Binance for this for their stablecoin. Uh yeah, hey, it's great to be back on and uh we've been very busy. Uh the Binance announcement was, you know, of course uh pretty big and got a lot of attention. Um, Binance took a look at our Syscoin bridge technology and saw that it would be valuable for them as far as um, their goal, which is to extend the usability of Binance USD and to do that in a way that is that um doesn't take them out of compliance. Um, compliance is, of course, a, a significant uh, issue for them. They're NYDFS compliant, and they expect to remain so going forward. So, of course, any solutions that they pursue uh, will need to align with that. And what they noticed with Syscoin Bridge is that it's all driven by smart contracts. There's no human custodians involved. Um, it's trustless and permissionless. So all of those aspects um, you know, make it easier uh, for them to uh, remain compliant and also um, li uh, limit liability. Um, they also took a look at um, Syscoin platform itself from top to bottom, and they saw a lot of the same attributes, uh, which they liked very much. So they, uh, they decided to enter into a partnership with Blockchain Foundry, um, which of course is the, um, is the publicly traded company that was founded by the um, original founders of Syscoin um, mm -hmm. back in 20, late 2016, I believe, um, which is, uh, you know, it's a separate and distinct um, entity from Syscoin itself, but they do a lot of commercial work. Um, so block, uh, Blockchain Foundry and Binance partnered to, um, to utilize Syscoin Bridge um, as a solution for Binance USD on Syscoin. Uh, but that's that's a great like a uh, stamp of approval you know if a company which relies heavily on compliance in order to to basically exist uh chooses your your platform you know to to make that happen so that's a yeah that must be a, a great thing for 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 your whole team yeah it's we're pretty excited about it we look forward to uh continue you know the continued work with binance so um your technology can be used by binance it it can be used by any blockchain uh obviously um and you were speaking about compliance so so let's zoom in on one of the key features uh syscoin can add to other blockchains and we briefly spoke about opt-in regulatory compliance so what kind of value does this offer to, to other blockchains and can you give us some yeah some use cases maybe specified for stablecoin but also other uh, kind of projects yeah sure so um compliance has been a, a big issue um in industry and um essentially what you have is um you know, a sort of a crossroads that uh, enterprises are having to deal with um, where they either choose to leverage the benefits of using blockchain, uh, a public blockchain, for example, um, uh, or, you know, or they hold off because the issues of compliance aren't really clear. Mm -hmm. uh, and the second option that I mentioned is typically what happens, you know, um, companies need to um, need to operate uh, legally and, you know, in line with regulations. And that tends to take priority over adopting new technologies. Um, there's, you know, existing ways of implementing blockchain, 
that are, you know, that where you can get some degree of compliance, but we've found that they're uh, really very limited. Um, uh, some forms of compliance can be evaded by anyone who chooses, you know, to use a different piece of software or things like that. So um, we came up, JAG in particular, came up with, um, with a concept um, and worked with some other devs for opt-in pre-compliance. So um, what we wanted to do was provide on-chain compliance that's network enforced mm -hmm while not necessarily like forcing everyone to have to participate in the compliance structures because there's a lot of sovereign value owners out there who don't necessarily need or want um, to deal uh, to deal with all of those uh, regulations um, in which case you know with an opt-in model uh, tokens that need compliance um, can certainly uh, opt into it and use rule sets that will be able to adapt to changing regulations for whatever region they're in um, or however their token evolves um, and uh, essentially you know all of that will be network enforced so that those particular compliance structures cannot be evaded by anyone um, and maybe jag can elaborate a little bit more yeah yeah so basically um we we were getting validation from different uh enterprise um players that there's there's going to be a large well we see the writing on the walls well just like you probably hearing the news that stable coins are going to have uh bigger and bigger issues eu is looking to ban them um you know you just google it they're all looking to try to regulate them and uh, privacy coins um, because once you get into the environment of crypto, you can transfer into any other coins. And so, you know, there's, there's big bounty, well, not big, but there's bounties now to start trying to figure out or de-privatize Monero and Zcash. And, you know, once you're in the mathematical world, there's just too many ways to get around, um, to create privacy. So if you, if you're getting into the private world, how do you keep a public, um utility uh from from becoming private and the answer is you really can't uh you could do the on and offboarding thing which is what's happening now with white and blacklist but again with those blacklists growing so large it's uh, it's, it's going to cost more and more and so then you really only have uh, a couple of options um and there's nothing really out there in the market that will support uh something like that and so what what central banks, um, you know, stablecoin, some of them started to do early in around 16 and 17 was they started to create permission blockchains and permission blockchains meant the settlement was also permissioned. Um, but again, then there's a problem where uh, you have issues where, you know, some people don't trust the settlement, other countries may not trust it. Uh, and it's not really publicly auditable, uh, depends on, you know, consortium, the permissioning part's fine. It's just the settlement is is the main value proposition of what Bitcoin and Ethereum is bringing to us. Um, the permissioning is really just an authorization model, and then the settling is where you know you look back 100 years later and the transaction's still there, it's still the same, uh, and everyone can agree on state. So the other component was we needed it to be scalable because everything we try to do is first decentralized settlements scalability performance and then solve the problems on top so in order for us to be scalable we found really the only way to do is to allow for either a hash or a, some type of signature on the blockchain and uh and it was actually fairly easy because all you really have to do is uh, on the token provisioning just assign an address that's the authorization address and uh, then you just enforce every transaction to have a signature from that address so it's kind of similar to how bitcoin ethereum already work um but the, the magic really happens on the authorization so once you start doing something like that as you you know you're probably getting ideas in your head that there's centralization bottlenecks on the apis that will do these checks um and that's the permissioning model but what you can do there is uh, the plan there is to offer stuff like multi-party computation which is a way to distribute load amongst uh, other members the consortium members 
So, you know, for example, uh, you have five different members um, in a consortium or part of your organization. One or, or two of the members check KYC databases and two of them um, do limit checks so they don't have access to the KYC databases. And one does maybe a double spend check. So you can actually do instant transactions um, because, again, it's coming from an authorized permissioning model. Uh, so the settlement happens still on the Syscoin layer, which is merged out Bitcoin. And so you still have the decentralized settlements, but the permissioning happens at this other layer. And you can say, well, three of the five have to sign off. So even if they're not all online, it's still okay. It'll still work. Uh, and so using multi-party computation, you can add that resilience kind of back in. Uh, and then it could be extended, you know, to maybe 15 or 20 or however is uh, however much is needed. but at the sacrifice of some um, scalability and performance. Um, and there's there's new advancements coming on the crypto side to make multi-party competition uh, better and better at scale. So the idea is then you, you, you now are doing these API checks, but you can also do per transaction compliance in that model. So when we're talking about money, um, not crypto assets like Bitcoin and Syscoin Ethereum, those are considered assets or commodities, but we're talking about money which means uh, regulation means um you know we have to detect terrorism fraud prevention um you know collusion of any type uh, you know in, in some cases there's non-for-profits that have to you know go the way of accredited investors only or there's systems where you can only transact with a certain number of people that's their business model uh, certain people in a gated community have access to a token uh, and, and it's up to really you, right? So you can define those rules. Um, and for But what about, for example, uh, stable coins? Like if, if the stable coin is freely to transact uh, today, uh, but, you know, in six months they are uh, implementing, uh, you know, some kind of compliance feature where you, as a user, if you have like big holdings of, of that stable coin, of that particular stablecoin, you have to comply, uh, for instance, uh, hand over uh, KYC documents before you can even, you know, send those funds anywhere. Is that also a big risk that 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 people, uh, yeah, can can change the rules afterwards? Uh, well, I mean, if you look at the stablecoins and with any volume today, like Tether or BUSD, they have blacklist today, so they can actually stop you from. Um, doing transactions today uh so that's always a mm -hmm. risk like if i i, I did a, a fairly large transaction um and i was just holding tether and i was uh, i was scared because i i didn't know at any time they could just blacklist my address because they didn't know who i was i was a new person entering into the system and they wanted to do kyc on me but i think right now it's fairly liberal and that they're unless the government's forcing them they don't do it but it, yeah. we're, we're entering into that into the whole regulated environment of stable coins where uh, merchants are starting to accept this for barter uh, because there's new L2, L2 networks are starting to do stuff point of sale. Like for example, Syscoin could do point of sale. When you're doing barter, then you, the merchants have to comply and that's where it's, it's going to get real tough to say, okay, well, you, you can accept a stable coin, but then when you cash out, you have to KYC. Yeah. And when you cash out, where did that money come from? And you'll say it came from this network. And they'll say, how do we know that's not, uh, you know, terrorists or uh, it's uh, money laundering? You you won't know the answer, and that's uh, where people get into trouble. So um, it's yeah, it's a jungle. It's a really a compliance jungle now. I mean, it's good that a lot of uh, solutions are being uh, developed, and it will. Yeah, stay a cat and mouse game for for quite a while, but it's great to see that that you know the community or projects like Syscoin actually uh, yeah take take a step forward uh, into yeah planning this uh, uh, ahead. Yeah, we want to you know provide an open door and a low barrier of entry for you know a really huge segment of the world economy. Yeah. Um, by doing this, you know, we don't want to close them out. But at the same time, we don't want to alienate um, people who are most interested in so sovereign value ownership. Yeah. And so that's why I like the solution. And I'll add one more thing about it. Um, you know, it's, it's, a very, it's a very generalized design. Uh, 
So while I think the biggest part really is compliance, um, as, as far as what we're looking at, it also serves a lot of different purposes as well. Um, you know, the, uh, these um, off-chain um, off uh, rule sets that are network enforced um, can really be beneficial in a lot of other ways. So, you know, one example might be an enterprise that uh, issues a token might want to um, set up a custom fee structure where every transaction that is made a, a certain amount of that token is paid out to a specific address. So that that's pretty powerful in that mm -hmm. it, it can enable enterprises to fund, uh, you know, their operations and things like that with a custom transaction fee that would, you know, that would function um, kind of on top of the regular CIS gas transaction fee. Uh, and that's, that's existed in the past, but it's never been network enforced, right? So people in the past, you know, they could just use a different wallet that didn't use, you know, that didn't take into account that custom fee structure and evade the fee. But with network enforced rules, you know, that's no longer an issue. So, huh. yeah, um, it's it's good that you're talking about uh, lower uh, lowering the the barrier to 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 enter. Um, and during our previous conversation, we already touched base on on DeFi. Uh, but really, since that recording, the whole decentralized finest uh, rocket ship really took off. Uh, and personally, I really like the fast-paced innovation curve. I mean, it's really interesting to watch. You know how how fast you need to adapt to to stay up to date and uh, uh, yeah, st stay ahead of the curve. But at the same time, it also brought a lot of bad actors in the game and and a lot of new people. Uh, yeah, thought about it. You know something like a a new vision but we're yeah somewhat disappointed about the the whole uh uh um yeah things that happen to them with you know bad investments or or, or whatnot so what's your view on 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 the current DeFi? um but more importantly what does it take in your opinion to for the whole industry to become more mature so to say Yes. So, um, you know, I can tell you my view. Um, I think what will what it will take time. Uh, I mean, what what will what what it'll take for it to mature is really just time for it to find its place in the market. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we had the IC, ICO boom back in 2017, and I, I kind of I kind of see the DeFi thing, you know, in, in a similar light. Um, but I will one thing I will say is that is that um, you know, financial instruments for uh, digital assets on the blockchain uh, is a real use case. It certainly is a real use case. Um, and I, I, I think um, despite the fact that there's really a lot of hype or was a lot of hype around it leading up to, uh, you know, the recent events that happened the past couple of weeks, um, that it is a real use case and it will persist, but it will just take some time for it to, um, for it to find its, its, you know, its real place. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I think um, uh, DeFi assets that are based on things other than just, um, you know, supply curve manipulation um, would help. Um, yeah. So some real value involved and maybe Jag can talk about that a little bit. And um, I'd like to hear his take on it as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's so everyone knows, right? It's, uh, <clears throat> it's just a... Um, it's an obvious Ponzi scheme, but one where supply-driven economics is driving uh, valuations through the roof, and everyone knows it. But there, there's no rug being pulled from under it because uh, it's algorithmic, and so there's it's ta it takes the human fear and greed, uh, fear and greed out of the picture a little bit on, in trading, because driven by uh, numbers and uh, algorithms inside of the code rather than people pulling out uh, their orders and causing uh, psychological manipulation on the, on the price it's a little bit different. And so that in that way, and the fees don't help because pulling out and pulling in means um, a lot of costs. So people are more inclined just to stay in if they're, if they're intended to trade, yeah. they're just going to stay in. So a lot of that is, is contributing to that. And people like you're saying, lose money when, these real big booms and busts happen because they're likely not to come back uh, once the bust happens. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's not like 
um, other trading where there's cycles, ups and downs, and and depends on the quality of the product, it may come back up. But in this case, uh, they go so high and so low that they're likely gone for a long time or forever. Um, so what's your view on, on uh, uh, Uniswap uh, uh, releasing their own Uni token today? Yeah, the swap, I mean, um, it's cool that they add the governance model and they add the utility to being able to drive valuations. But uh, I just think that airdropping everybody, they already have the Ethereum user base. I'm not sure what they were trying to do with airdropping a thousand bucks on everybody. And uh, it caused, that's crazy. It's irrationality to me because it's caused a fee spike to like 800. And now we're talking about businesses being driven out. Right. And well, that's good for us because we're getting a lot of inbound requests, but it's not good for the, industry as a whole as businesses will just pack up and leave especially the ones i don't know there's um, scalability solutions out there so we're, we're working our best to try to spread our word and say hey if you need help we're there you know we're decentralized it's not like we're asking you to move your uh, your stack over but we're um, saying that there's an option for you to stay on ethereum but leverage us to at least to weather the storm until uh till the fees start to go back to normal if they ever do right so okay um yeah talking about that topic that uh, that leads me to uh to the questions my uh, my followers asked uh, last week and we have a question uh from his name is louis friend and his question was given what the sys uh syscoin ethereum bridge is capable of what are some roadblocks keeping it from mass um, mass adoption, and what can be done to clear them? Yes, yeah, so there's three different types of bridging tech, right? There's uh, atomic swaps, which were the first type mm -hmm. um, uh, that was brought to us by uh, a pretty smart Bitcoin engineer, and then <clears throat> atomic swaps has a liquidity mm -hmm. issue, and so Uniswap is an atomic swap model, but it's algorithmic. It's driven by uh, you have to put both sides of liquidity in, but then the price is established. Just so uh, Uniswap is a subset of atomic swaps. Then there's direct bridging, um, direct, and direct bridging is what we did. That's uh, it, it takes the liquidity out of the picture, so that's the benefit you get. It also doesn't require any counterparty or finding a trade. So since there's no liquidity or no trader to to look for, then it, it's uh, a little bit easier to get in and get out um there's no price manipulation or anything like that because price is not a factor in that system it's direct um and there was a interesting paper i think in 2015 that um, theorized that there's no actual way to do real interoperability meaning um uh, interoperability between blockchains unless both blockchains know of each other and that's uh what we did. So on Ethereum, we, we have a awareness of Syscoin through, through agents that post the block headers. And on Syscoin, we are aware of Ethereum by running uh, get light nodes. So that fulfills the requirement of both blockchains knowing of each other. And therefore, we are able to interoperate between them um, just with the native security model. Otherwise, if you don't uh, are not aware of each other, then you have to take trade-offs. Uh, where you start to do validator models. And so then there's also a, another subset of bridging tech that's being done through validator models. So, you know, nodes vote on if uh, coins uh, are able to lock or unlock. Um, and then they move the coins over there. And then there's some work being done to generalize that through multi-party computation. That's something we're actively looking at. Um, generalizing our bridge technology to hold, for example, uh, Bitcoin. Um, so something like, say, the master nodes, um, uh, a subset of them would, uh, it's called DKG, distributed key generation. They, they generate a Bitcoin private key or an address. You send that yeah. Bitcoin to that address, and then it triggers an event to unlock uh, on another blockchain through a smart contract. And therefore, um, now it becomes generalized because that could you can exchange Bitcoin for any other chain, right? It's uh, as long as the curve is the same, uh, they'll all 
uh, it's really just same same private keys, it's a different address. So then to unlock, um, you have to get the validators to vote. The problem, so that that's actually the REN BTC model. And it's interesting that the REN BTC model right now isn't functional, even though they claim that it was multi-party, but it's not multi-party. It's they're storing the Bitcoin in a centralized address. Um, and even their code that they released on GitHub is based on um, white papers from like 2001. So it's really ancient stuff. And they could have just used code that was already done recently by like Binance and uh, Zengo. So they chose to use ancient technology, non-optimized and non-optimal for the use case. <clears throat> and it's not actually functioning, but that's the idea behind it is uh, you're storing some coin um, and then coming back. And the problem is once you want to go back, so you're going to go back from Bitcoin, um, then you have to have the validators sign. And what if those validators go away? That That's the issue that uh, everyone's having. In, the cryptographers do have potential solutions there to be able to roll into other validators. And that's what we're, uh, we're right at the cutting edge. So we're trying to solve that problem. But if we were able to get there, then that means that we can use something like uh, the Syscoin validator nodes to be able to do something like that. You know, have 66% of them sign off and then uh, rotate the key over time and then have them recycle somehow if they're, uh, if they ever have to go away. Um, and that's where the bridge may end up becoming generalized. And it's a, it's not a direct bridge technology, but it's more of a validator model, but then using multi-party computation. And we might just, you know, have it offered at the same time. And the, the last one is centralized bridging. And that's, uh, it might sound stupid, but a lot of people think uh, it's the most useful right now because, uh, for example, if Blockchain Foundry was to have a centralized service, it's called Bridge as a Service, and it partnered with, say, BitGo or some other custodial providers, regulated licensed providers, and they had a multi-sig between the user um, or some users, the custodial provider, BCF, and maybe some other regulator or something like that, then you'd be able to hold coins in custody uh, using hardware wallets and using regulated means and lock and unlock coins on other chains. So it's not like you're trusting some random business, but you're trusting regulated licensed operators. Uh, and that's hedge funds and those large, um, large funds uh, tend to trust those type of organizations. So that's the third kind of getting some traction. Yeah. So the only thing that I'll add to that is, um, you know, as far as roadblocks and what can be done to clear them um, towards adoption, um, you know, a, a lot of the a lot of what we face is just general the general things that the blockchain industry as a whole faces, which is um, awareness. You know, there being more awareness, which um, um, which is increasing by the day, especially after the Binance announcement. We've we've really been getting a, a lot of um, a lot of inquiries about our tech. We've had other blockchains um, look at our tech and want to adapt it to their own uh, blockchains, like uh, Nix, for example. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so you know, the other issue is uh, is compliance. You know, which we talked about earlier. I believe once that's in place, um, it's it's going to open a very wide door um, for a lot more enterprises to start using blockchain technology that that couldn't before. Um, so yeah, I mean, in addition to us just making our technology better, um, there's some kind of general things that, um, that are progressing. We've, um, you know, we've, uh, we've got business development that is very active. So not only is Syscoin Foundation involved in BizDev, there's also Blockchain Foundry. We've got some, you know, a, a, a really good company that we're friends with, uh, named Quan Digital. Uh, they're based in Brazil. They're very similar to Blockchain Foundry. Um, but they, um, you know, they're focused on bringing more exposure to Syscoin and, um, you know, using it as a solution for their clients uh, in Latin America. Um, and there's others as well. So we partnered with Matic recently since the, since the finance announcement. Yeah. Uh, and that's a research and business development uh, oriented partnership. Um, we, we established a partnership with uh, Corian uh, and others. So things are progressing. Um, 
pretty fast and you know we're, we're getting a lot more exposure now uh and that's that seems to be just snowballing oh that's awesome to hear and and, and uh, tapping in on, on the previous question uh there was also a a, a guy named block nugget or, or or ian uh he asked you know when will the uh the the, the sys eat bridge will co completely be 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 automated the whole, the whole process yeah so um you know we're we're about to um put syscoin 4.2 on the testnet here pretty soon i can't give an exact date but that should happen very soon yeah and and um there's some libraries uh that are being developed for that uh, that will make mm -hmm. it a lot easier for developers to um to automate um, these processes and awesome. um yeah yeah i know for for a fact that that you guys are are, are really you know uh approaching the market with a multi-angle vision you know both from from the uh, blockchain foundry but also really sticking to uh from developer to developer and also reaching out to the community um so this other uh follower named corner tilt he was asking about the future development plans uh including d5 features uh previously we we spoke a bit about how syscoin enables other projects uh to implement those those features uh but can you yeah can you give us anything exciting what's what's coming up we're still fleshing out some of the details on uh maybe a a, a DeFi offering that will be uh, associated with the, um, the syscoin bridge agents in particular mm -hmm. to kind of incentivize uh, bridge activity uh and um you know individuals to serve as independent agents uh, to facilitate those transactions um we're still fleshing that out um but it's but it's quite possible that we that we will be um we will be implementing a sort of a DeFi structure for the bridge. Um, Jag can probably talk a lot more about that than I can. Other than that, there's, you know, there's 4.2, um, which is really, which is really great because it shifts our asset model to UTXO, which opens the door for our payment channel technology uh, that we are researching uh, that will handle multi, multi-asset, um, multi-asset uh, payments, um, in a secure way. So, um, Jag, if you have anything to add, feel free. Yeah, on the multi-asset, I think we're, you know, what we're talking about is being able to take your Tether USD and pay <clears throat> to somebody in Euro. The merchant gets Euro, but it's automatically converted and you get paid within milliseconds. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's all happening off-chain. Um, and basically the conversion is done through liquidity providers, which, which take a little bit of a fee, right? Um, but it's all completely trustless and uh, as well as decentralized mar uh, markets. So just like those people are converting those currencies, they can also just convert them for, you know, a, a marketplace where there's traders. So they're just trading in and out. So, the, uh, and those, and that decentralized marketplace can um, be the cornerstone for cross converting payments uh, in real time. So that's uh, research we've been doing. So it'll plug into like the Lightning Network and just allow to have multiple assets instead. Find a way to plug in instead of just redevelop it. Okay. And so, on the DeFi. So it makes sense that that if you you know if you're going to send USDT to some merchant who wants to receive it in in, in euro, that you make use of liquidity providers. Uh, but I also got a question from from ram and he was asking if there are any plans to have a partnership with a erc based uh dex or decentralized uh, exchange like, like idex or something uh to yeah, yeah to, to to really uh, uh showcase the your bridge yeah so all the tool sets on ethereum could be applied because we have that bridge right mm -hmm. um and uh i was with i was talking to connects yesterday and they're doing interesting payment channels, state channels off-chain on Ethereum, very similar to payment channels, uh, but using smart contracts and very similar problems with solutions. So I've learned of different ways to solve these solutions uh, or these problems on payment channels. Um, but I, I think the payment channel mechanism of Bitcoin is going to be a little bit more scalable long-term, mm -hmm. although state channels is also very interesting. 
and you can do DEXs uh, on either side. So what we want to offer is uh, not only just a DEX, but an ecosystem where uh, merchants can be paying and they may leverage the DEX to be able to cross-convert or not. Uh, or if the customer accepts Tether and they're spending Tether, just go direct. Uh, but it's all, the trust model is all based on the same thing, which is using the, the blockchain as a court system, uh, similar to what how Bitcoin Lightning Networks works. So a lot of the uh, use cases on wallets supporting that, you know, it won't be too hard to convert them to support this, which is uh, the idea to leverage all of that mindshare. Uh, just to touch on the DeFi thing, though, I think um, the liquidity providers here aren't really the, aren't really DeFi. They're earning some fees, but it's just a typical atomic swap mm -hmm. type of thing between payments happening off chain. What what um, Bradley meant to put DeFi using the agents was uh, a concept where um, if you're uh, an agent that's providing bridge functionality, uh, you would be able to earn uh, tokens. Uh, for posting those Syscoin block headers on Ethereum and the tokens actually so inherently have value now because they're based on doing real work. So it's almost like a proof of work backed Ethereum token. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that token feeds into DeFi uh, and any anyone who's using the bridge. Right now there's typically like a one basis uh, percentage fee when you go back from Syscoin to Ethereum in the native token. And uh, that fee is paid out to the agent who's proposed that super block. But instead, uh, what we could do is pay that fee out to the holder of the tokens. So anyone holding those tokens would get residual rewards from anyone using the bridge. So that's what we meant by uh, okay, okay. some type of default okay, for so the bridge. And there's no other way to get the token but to do the actual work behind the agent. So it ha should have inherent value. So that's also a uh, incentive. Um, yeah. Okay, then there was a, another question about uh, f from a blockchain attorney, and you need to help help me out with this. But it he he asked, what is the status uh, with their or your DID uh, development? Yeah, that's decentralized identifiers. So the digital ID, uh, as you know, we're you know we were one of the founding members of the DIF Decentralized Identity yeah, Foundation, yeah. which was founded. Microsoft, and that's where our partnership with Microsoft kind of started. Um, and in there, um, they're doing W3C specs for digital identity. So identity, as you know, is the real hard problem, but it's also something that's needed. Um, like, for example, I don't know if you've seen the, the social experiment documentary mm -hmm. on Netflix. Mm -hmm. and all, all, yeah. So addictive, but it's, it's an advertiser model. Um, and it's sovereignty of data that's the problem. So if users controlled their own data and their own identity, um, then like you'd have to opt in and you can't use that behind their backs. So it, it would potentially help solve a lot of the problems. Um, and really it's an agnostic solution. It's not specific to any blockchain. Uh, we used to have identities on the blockchain. We found it wouldn't scale uh, because of all the data that's stored. So it's better ways to just- Clogging the chain, uh, yeah. Do it to yeah, and do it to off. Do it off chain, but use um, you know timestamping and different mechanisms to leverage the public blockchain. So because this coin is unique, it's uh, secured by Bitcoin. It's a lot cheaper than Bitcoin. It's cheaper than Ethereum. Mm -hmm. We'd likely use any type of chain um, security using Syscoin. Just makes a lot more sense. Hmm. Um, there's no other chain I think that provides the same type of value. Um, uh, because uh, we could do it to Bitcoin, it's more expensive. We get the same trust and security model as Syscoin, and we could do it to Ethereum, but it's probably not as even, even as secure as Bitcoin or Syscoin. Okay, okay. So uh, as I'm uh, understanding correctly, the DID development is uh, not your main focus right now. Uh, we actually did. We had some prototypes built out for a client. And so there, there was a we we were under we're still under NDA. Mm -hmm. It was a large enterprise uh, institution that we did a prototype with, and it's it actually works. It's really cool. Oh, cool. Um, it uses zero knowledge proofs to uh, share information. So, for example, you walk into a bar and you want to order something, but you have to prove that you're over eighteen. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you can give that information 
that you are over 18 without actually answering what your age is uh, or you are. It just proves that you are over 18 because your identity has been attested to by the government and and that's all the system cares about, the the zero-knowledge proof that your threshold is your age threshold is greater than this number Mm -hmm. but also that your identity has been entered and attested to by um, an authority yeah so it's uh, just which is verified data so then that both both parties can either trust on the uh that it's legit and and also the other the the, the user side that it's safe to share but because that was a was a huge huge topic here in, in in my country in the netherlands they were building this uh, corona app you know to to track citizens uh for going to to bars and restaurants to uh so there was a whole discussion about okay is the technology behind it safe so i think they yeah hired three uh, yeah three teams to 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 build an app and it took over uh, took over three months but they still managed to uh, to to come up with something um yeah we can use this solution for that exact problem as well because you don't want to share a lot of that information with people you just want to make a proof that you have been tested by a certain um trusted medical clinic or something yeah, yeah. and you have the proofs of test but you don't want to give up any other information who you are maybe even who the test was done by but just that it's a valid, uh, valid result. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that, that kind of stuff is, uh, once the base layer of identity is done, you can apply it to any of those use cases. Okay. Okay. Uh, thanks, Jack. Um, Bradley, I have two questions left from my uh, followers. Uh, the first one is uh, from a great name, Overclocked Jesus. Why do people overlook this project? One of the few legit teams building something useful. Well, that's a big question. <laughs> yeah, so um, we've been very heavily focused on infrastructure, um, getting the protocol right uh, and the infrastructure correct for a truly scalable blockchain um, and scalable services um, that can really serve uh, practical use cases at global scale. Uh, you know, so there has been, um, and there's, there's been a lot more focus on that than there has been on, you know, end user facing applications, uh, that have all the bells and whistles and look really fancy. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, so there's that factor, but what, what I will say is we're not overlooked by enterprises. Um, yeah, especially now more important. Exactly. Especially now, but as far as the retail investor goes, uh, you know, there was recently an inter, uh, not an interview, but um, Ivan Ontech actually covered Syscoin uh, in one of his recent videos, um, and um, mm-hmm. he he likes the project a lot. Uh, the one thing that he said at the very end was the only thing I can think of why people are overlooking Syscoin is because of the name and the logo. <laughs> so something as silly <laughs> as that, you know. Um, yeah, and that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. You know, um, but we're, you know, we're looking for uh, discerning, uh, discerning individuals uh, to get inv- involved with our project. Um, and um, there's also a very, um, a very successful company called Cisco, which is publicly traded. Uh, you know, mm-hmm, that's, mm-hmm. A, that's a pretty boring name. But if you look into the company, they're uh, incredibly successful. So I, I would say, uh, be a wise and discerning um, investor and in, in whatever you invest in and, uh, don't buy something just because it's named like sushi or, um, or like, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or cool, cool bucks or something, you know, cool bucks. Well, that's a great name, but I agree. It's for a company, you know, it's, it's way more important to focus on longevity. And in your case, uh, connecting with, you know, with with some proper uh, enterprises is much more valuable than uh, you know being uh, the coin of the week because we all know these hype cycles. I mean, if we are entering a real bull run uh, now, you know, it 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 probably end in in a year or so, or maybe in two years. So, if you are a project that that solely relies on this hype without actual connections to the real world or real enterprise that are going to use your tech 
then it's a short ride and you have to disappoint a lot of people or fire people or close down shop uh, after it ends. So I like that strategy. Um, it's a legitimate question, uh, but it's also uh, uh, the answer proves, yeah, proves Siskoin uh, 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 the right way. Um, great to hear. Yeah, and I think people should do two things when they're going to invest in something besides obviously hiring a software guy. If you're a large hedge fund, hire a software guy to analyze the code. There's two things on the business side you'd want to look for is um, you want to you want to understand the vision of the people running the project or the members of the community running the project and um, mm -hmm. and their track record of the vision. So what when they made decisions, uh, how how the market reacted to that and how um, it played out in, in, in the future was what were their decisions relevant? Because if their decisions were not relevant, then uh, in the future, future decisions won't be relevant and thus uh, will not carry any value. Um, and so, you know, that's really important to, you're not buying into the tech so much, you're buying into the people making the decision because the tech is changing almost every day. Um, True. So that that's a real critical part. Um, and then obviously just understanding that the code is uh, compliant and there's so many complex variables uh, in software. It's the most complex thing humans have ever done. And so even if someone's trying to do this from scratch, that means they're reinventing that hundred year cycle that it took to create Bitcoin. So that means even yeah. one thing in there could disrupt the, the game theory. And the, the last thing is interesting thought. you want to understand the security model of the system. And so, uh, you, it's pretty basic, but all you really have to do is how how much money would it cost to attack that system or 51% attack for proof of work? Mm -hmm. or, and, and proof of stake, it's even easier because once you attack it, yeah. it might cost more upfront, but once you do attack it, there's instant finality. And so that means that it's broken forever and they have to fork out, uh, which is m more, it's crazy. And so yeah. if you're looking at these chains, it's like, what are the costs of attacks? And choose the ones that have the vision, but also the ones that have the high security, because that's ultimately why we're here. It's the decentralized security features of blockchain that uh, add value to anything that's done on top. Thanks, Jack. Yeah, that's pretty excited. What's, uh, what's coming ahead, um, especially for the, for the next quarter. Um, I think the final question is, is easy to answer, uh, Bradley. It's, uh, uh, Egbert, he was asking about when is the next block party in Amsterdam? Well, I think that will take a while. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm actually not sure when it is. I've, I've heard that it's, you know, really, a, a um, it's really fun. Um, it's, it's a, it's a good bash to attend if you can at all. Uh, so I hope to attend the next one and I'm just as interested in knowing when it will happen as, um, as the person who asked the question. So as soon as we know, we'll make sure that everybody else does. <laughs> good, good. Uh, yeah, it, it was actually great to have all this input from the community. Uh, I think they got some great answers from, from you guys, uh, as well. Uh, but before we wrap this episode up, uh let me ask you one question and without breaking any ndas what can we expect from syscoin up until let's say christmas yeah so um going back to what i said earlier um the degree to which our different business development efforts are um, are underway um don't be surprised at all uh to see some more you know, significant announcements between now and Christmas. I can't mm -hmm. get into anything specific or guarantee, okay. but, um, but, but with the work that's going on, um, it's, uh, it, it seems like a, like a real, a real probability to me, um, that we'll have some more announcements coming and, um, 4.2, uh, by then should be released on the test net and testing should be underway, which will be pretty exciting because Correct. it's, it's, it's going to bring a lot of, um, a lot of, of real improvements um, to the protocol. Okay. Yeah, and on the BTF side, it's uh, sorry to cut you off, but on the remember the setup of Syscoin uh, has Blockchain Foundry, which is a public company, and that carries a lot of weight with enterprises. And so we are getting a lot of inbound requests for um, these use cases that we're very optimized for. And so you know it's exciting 
um, to hear validation of what we're doing almost every single time. Uh, when we get on these calls, it's uh, peer validation of our current work. So um, because of Corona, there's always a couple of quarters of lag of uh, funding, you know, because they have to, especially with blockchain, it's such new tech that large companies have to put aside funding and budget it for the quarters ahead. And with Corona, it's even harder because there's, you know, layoffs and all that stuff probably coming up. And so, uh, but there's definitely validation and a lot of inbound requests. And so on the enterprise side, um, you know, with some of the features we're adding, it's uh, those are the types of users that will drive valuation and adoption rather than the typical, you know, traders and investors in the crypto ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. Okay, so I guess we will uh, yeah, have to plan in uh, another episode before uh, it starts snowing. Um, Thank you guys both for uh, for coming on today. Uh, yeah, really love talking to you guys. Um, yeah, really uh, impressed by the fact that 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 you guys are are having yeah so many so many things going on, and um, I'm looking forward to our next conversation. Uh, if you have anything to add, feel free to uh, to do that right now, and otherwise uh, we will speak again. Um, well, it's always nice to talk with you. Um, so thanks for having us on again. And sure. Um, I'm sure we'll have uh, plenty to share uh, next time we come on. Okay. Thanks, guys. Be safe. And uh, good luck. Have, have a great weekend, weekend ahead. You as well. Okay. You. Bye. Thanks again for listening, guys. Well, it seems that Cisco is just, you know, building and building and building and one point they will get their recognition uh pretty happy to hear that they are you know have their clear focus but at the same time are doing so much stuff at, at the same time anyways thanks for listening uh i hope you enjoyed it and stay tuned for another one cheers <laughs>